It's good to see you all. How are you all doing? Uh, if we've never met before, uh, my name is Josiah. I'm the young adults pastor here at uh, Grace Church. So if you are uh, between the ages of 18 to 28-ish, and we really do stretch out that ish sometimes, uh, but if you're uh, in that age range and we've never met before, I would love to get to know you. I run uh, a ministry called Collective. We meet every Thursday night in this room at 7 o'clock, uh, and if you have been a part of our church for a while and you're in that age bracket uh, and you've never been, you are missing out on literally probably the coolest thing I've ever gotten to be a part of, and so I, I would love to connect with you on that. Um, but we're, um, if you're a guest with us, or maybe it's like your first time to like church, like ever, or in a really long time, you're really coming at a really uh, a great time. We're on the second week of a conversation that we started uh, last week called Talk to Me as a Friend. And the premise of this series of conversations is basically this. What if the things that God is saying in the Bible, he's not saying from this restrictive or angry standpoint? What if the things that God is saying is because he, Jesus wants to be the best friend that you've ever had? And so he's willing to say the things that no one else will say, but he says them gently and kindly and softly because he's trying to lead you to the fullest life you could possibly have, the, the, the happiest uh, version of your life. And so in this series, we're going to be talking about a lot of the topics that probably are hard to talk about and a lot of the things that might be a little taboo, but they're all coming from the standpoint of what if Jesus is saying this with kindness and gentleness? What if Jesus is talking to you as a friend? And the question that we're going to talk about today is this one. The question that we're going to talk about today is this. How does Jesus respond to my sexual brokenness. How does Jesus respond to my sexual brokenness? Now, I know what you're thinking. How on earth did Josiah get pegged with this one? You know, like a really, really bad game of eeny, meeny, miny, mo. You know, it just went horribly wrong. No, the reason uh, uh, Big Jeff and the other pastors asked me to do this is obviously I work with young adults and, and I know that the way that uh, my generation under would talk about sexuality and think about sexuality uh, is a little bit unique. And so what I want to do today is, is give us a framework for in the midst of all that, how does Jesus respond to sexuality? sexual brokenness, what does that actually look like? And I know that, <laughs> I know that as soon as I said that was the topic, a bunch of us got like really tense really fast, you know what I mean? Your phone came out really quickly, you know? Um, and and I, I really, I mean, I really understand why. I mean, it, the, the church in the West uh, has not historically dealt with issues of sexuality very well at all. Um, I immediately think of my friends uh, who uh, would identify as LGBT and just the way that um, they have been ostracized and cast out. I have a buddy right now. His family won't even talk to him because of, of uh, you know, the things in his life. And that's all in the name of Christianity. I know also that places that have claimed to be churches and people that have claimed to be priests or pastors or religious authorities have, have been kind of like uh, the hub of various types of abuse. Um, have been the place and the source of all sorts of shame uh, and judgmentalism and condemnation. Um, I, I really get why you would get really tense really fast. Uh, if you grew up in the church and that's your experience, uh, these conversations are a little triggering. If you haven't been around the church, uh, the, why would you even think about going to like the Bible of God to talk about issues of sexuality when that's kind of all uh, happened in history. So let me just tell you uh, what we're not gonna do today. I just wanna be really clear. At no point uh, at all am, am I gonna like yell or get intense or get shameful or anything like that. That's, that's not gonna happen at all. Um, I'm also gonna do my absolute best to try not to oversimplify a complex issue. 
we all have our own stories and we all have our own things that have gone on. And so I don't wanna like uh, pretend like all of us have experienced the exact same thing, but I do wanna talk about what lies underneath all of these things because if there's one thing that's true about all humans is all human beings are sexually broken. All of us uh, have experienced sexual brokenness uh, in, in various different ways. And I think you'll be comforted to know that Jesus' response to sexual brokenness is very, very different. It could not be further from uh, the response of the guys with the signs or the megaphones or the Fox News people or like whatever, right? Jesus has a completely different response to sexual brokenness and that's what I wanna look at today. When I think about um, this question, I kinda think of it under like three subcategories. So how does Jesus respond to my sexual brokenness? Uh, uh, the first question I think of underneath that is, uh, what if I don't know if I wanna live out God's sexual ethic? You know, that might be you. You might know a little bit about what the Bible says about sexuality, you might be like, learning about that a little bit. And you're thinking, what? I don't even know if I wanna live that out. Because if I would put that into my life, that feels uh, repressive, that feels restrictive. That might mean I have to break up with so-and-so or move out of such and such situation or turn my life around in this way. I don't even know if I want to live that out, so how would Jesus respond to me? The second question I think of is, what if there's something I can't shake in my present? This, this one is very real. Maybe you are somebody that longs after Jesus and wants to be close to Jesus, and maybe you struggle with something sexually that you've tried to get over uh, and, and to overcome again and again and again. You try, you try, and try, and it doesn't seem to matter how much energy or effort you put into that thing. It never quite goes away. So is God, like, perpetually mad at me? Is there something wrong with my relationship with God? Is there something wrong with me? What if there's something in my present that I can't shake, and then the, the last question I think of is, what if there's something in my past? What if there's something in my past? Uh, what, what if there is something way back here that has happened to me that kind of lives with me to this day. A few weeks ago, I'm still recovering. We went, we, we took a retreat with a young adult ministry. There was 350 of us. It was the most wild thing ever. Uh, and we took this retreat and there was this incredible night where all these people gave their lives to Jesus for the first time, where 42 different people got baptized. And so we got to hear all these different stories, you know? So if you think the younger generation uh, doesn't want to know Jesus Christ, you are so wrong. But that's fine. Uh, anyways, uh, so we were kind of hearing all these different stories. And uh, the, honestly, the, the story that like jumped out to me, the moment that, that jumped out to me the most, um, was there was, uh, there's a leader in our ministry. She's a friend of mine. Um, she's been leading with us for a really long time. She's uh, kind of the backbone of the things that, that we do. And uh, she came up to get baptized, and she was, it kind of surprised me a little bit, honestly. And she started sharing her story a little bit, and I didn't know this, and I don't think anyone in the room knew this. She said, well, um, the reason I'm up here right now is because a handful of years ago, my boyfriend sexually assaulted me. And, ever, and I haven't talked about that or anything, but ever since that happened, I felt like he stole a part of me that I can never get back. He took a part of my heart that maybe God is always gonna have to turn a blind eye to. And I never really knew how to completely uh, bring that back to God because I feel like God's always gonna have to turn the other way when it comes to that aspect of my life. Maybe that's something you can relate to. Maybe something has happened in your past that is not your fault at all, that God is not holding against you at all, but something has happened and you feel like something was stolen from you. Maybe there's just things in your past that you would think um, that those were decisions that you made. 
those were conscious decisions that you made. And you can't undo the past, you can't reverse history. And so you think, what if there's something in my past that I can't shake? How does Jesus respond to my sexual uh, brokenness? And to answer that question, uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a, a story in the Bible um, where Jesus responds to someone uh, in the midst of their sexual brokenness, where Jesus actually uh, responds to someone in probably the most embarrassing situation in their life. So if you got a Bible or you got a phone or whatever you got, I want you to find John chapter eight, John chapter eight. Cade, can you tell the tech guys, they gotta click through my slides. Uh, so if you could communicate that, that would be awesome. Uh, John chapter eight, as you're finding that, I wanna let you know about a, a couple of resources. Um, the first one, is, uh, so we're not gonna be able to talk about every issue of sexuality and all that kind of stuff. That is a huge conversation. We're talking about doing a series down the line on all these types of things, so hopefully that's coming up in the pipeline. So I wanna let you know about a couple resources. One is, there's a book uh, by an author named Julie Slattery called Rethinking Sexuality. That is the best book on what the Bible has to say about sexuality that I have ever read in my life. So at the end of this conversation, if you wanna know more about what the Bible says about those things, I would definitely recommend Rethinking Sexuality. Um, also, we, uh, in our ministry, we've had a lot of conversations ar around these issues in the past. Um, and so we uh, attached in the app a bunch of different podcast episodes. So if you're interested on uh, topics of uh, sex, dating, love, marriage, singleness, the LGBT uh, community, any of those types of things, if you get the Grace Church app, uh, all those episodes should be linked right there and you can listen uh, to, to those uh, episodes from the past. So uh, let's go through the story right here. John chapter eight, this is what it says. So Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. So picture this scene with me. Jesus is out doing his thing. He's teaching at church, right? So he's at the temple. There's a crowd gathered around him. And just imagine he was on a stage right like this in front of a crowd just like this, right? Jesus is teaching uh, as he tended to do. As he was speaking, though, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. All these people are watching this go down. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. Now, what do you say? Now, this is no kid's story by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I, I think it'd be easy to like discount this and just think of this as uh, something simple that you can teach at Sunday school or something. If you've ever been in a legalistic culture, on a scale of one to 10, how bad is like a sexual thing? It's like an 11. You know what I mean? There's like murder, adultery. It's like this woman in their minds had committed the worst possible sin, grievance, whatever that she ever could have done. Now the word adultery uh, in the Bible, it translates a little clunky into in English because the word adultery doesn't just mean having an affair. So the word adultery means any sexual activity uh, to any degree outside of marriage at all. So most likely uh, this woman's probably like 17, 18 years old, and she's with her boyfriend. That's what happened. But what happens is, presumably, it says she's caught in the act of adultery. So presumably, she's in bed with her boyfriend, and people barge into the room. They find her, they grab her, she's not clothed, they drag her out, they don't take the guy, because they don't care about justice, they care about making a point. So they drag her out, they take her before the religious leaders of the town, of the other 
synagogues and temples or whatever. They throw her before the religious leaders. The religious leaders look at her and say, you broke the law, you broke the rule, so we know what we're gonna do with you. Let's take you before Jesus. So imagine Jesus is teaching in a setting just like this. The doors bust down through the back and these religious leaders who are supposed to be like, represent God, right? These religious leaders are dragging this woman through, crying, 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 terrified, terrified, terrified. Everyone in the community saw that this woman messed up, this woman is exposed, she's never been more afraid in her life, and they throw her before Jesus. That's the scene here. Uh, and you might think, well, that, that feels a little extreme, that's horrible, like who, you know, that, she must feel awful. Well, and that's how a lot of people feel coming in the church, just as a side note. You know, that's how a lot of people feel. They're, they're, they feel like Christians or whatever are just waiting to pounce. They're just waiting to expose them for their mistakes. But then the story gets even crazier. Um, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. The author of this story wants to make it abundantly clear that this whole situation is a trap. It's a trap. Uh, and he, here's, here's what the trap is. It, this is actually a brilliant trap. The law of Moses was the Jewish Bible. So the law of Moses that they're talking about is the word of God that God passed down to Moses that they would have followed. The law of Moses, if you read in the first few books of the Bible, says clear as day that the punishment for adultery is capital punishment. You can read that on your own. That's what the word of God said. And so they put Jesus in quite the scenario because if Jesus says, what are you guys doing? Don't stone this woman, don't kill this woman. What he's saying is he's saying, we don't have to follow God's word anymore. We don't have to follow the Bible. That's a thing of the past. That's not what I'm about. We don't need to follow the, the Bible anymore. But if Jesus says, go ahead and stone her, well, you know Jesus' message. Jesus' message is love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive as you've been forgiven. So if Jesus says, all right, we're gonna stone her, he's contradicting himself. Whatever decision Jesus makes, he's contradicting himself and proving that he's not really God. He's either not really the God that wrote the Bible, that wrote the law of Moses, or he's not the son of God that's been walking around teaching the things that he's teaching. So they really do set him up for quite the trap. This is what happens. And they kept demanding an answer, so Jesus stood up and said this, all right, you got me, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust, um, Mind you, everybody's holding rocks. Everybody's like ready to kill this woman. This was gonna be like a mop thing. And uh, Jesus says, okay, you got me. The Bible says, here's what we're gonna do. I don't know why you guys are elevating uh, sexual brokenness over any other type of brokenness. So whichever one of you in this room is not broken, and whichever one of you in this room has never made a mistake, Whichever one of you has never broken the law of God, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And what happens is the crowd dissipates. Starting with the oldest to the youngest, they start to walk away. Then Jesus stood up and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No one, sir. She said, imagine the relief. She thought she was gonna die in that moment. No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. All right, that line right there, 
is the key to understanding not only this story, but the entire message of Jesus, the entire message of Christianity. And what this, this line right here, Jesus gives us the key. He says, neither do I condemn you. I love you. I forgive you. I don't reject you. I don't hold this against you. I don't condemn you. Therefore, now you can go and leave your life of sin. If you hear one thing I say today, it's gotta be this. Um, Jesus' first response to sexual brokenness is I don't condemn you. If you hear one thing, it's that. Jesus' first response to sexual brokenness is I don't condemn you. I still love you. I still want you. You're precious to me. I don't condemn you. I love you. Now you can leave your life of sin. Now in this story, we're introduced to two ways to responding to sexual brokenness, two ways. There's the default way that the religious leaders and the crowd and the woman, they all think of responding in the default way. And then there's the way of Jesus that's incredibly counterintuitive. And so I wanna look at these two ways. The, the default response to sexual brokenness for all of us uh, is this. If I get rid of my sin, God will love me. If I can get rid of my sin, God will love me. Uh, if I can overcome the issues in, in my life, God will love me, he'll accept, accept me, he won't uh, condemn me. The religious leaders legitimately believed that God's number one goal, like if God ever came from heaven to earth, the reason he would be doing that would be to eradicate all brokenness, to purify the world, uh, to, 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 to purify every individual person, to purge the world of sin. And so what God would do if he ever came to earth was to find all the people that were super clean and take them up and then kind of destroy everybody else. Uh, one summer when my wife Sarah was a little kid, she was probably like, I don't know, six or seven, um, one summer uh, at their house, uh, there was just a bunch of frogs in their backyard. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. They live kind of by a creek, and I don't understand nature. But for some reason, it's like some kind of plague. You know, there's just all these frogs everywhere that they go. And Sarah has an older brother named Matthew, and she thought Matthew was just like the coolest guy ever, you know, dressing up like a Jedi and whatnot, you know, just the coolest guy. And so she looked up to Matthew, and Matthew thought he'd play a prank on his little sister. And so he said to Sarah that summer, he said, Sarah, uh, you can never go outside this summer. You can never go outside. She, she goes, oh, why? And Matthew goes, because all of those frogs will kill you. <laughs> all of those frogs, they're poisonous frogs. And if you even touch them, you will immediately die. You cannot go outside all summer long. Now, Sarah looked up to her brother Matthew. She really wanted to impress Matthew. And so a few days later, she decided, I'm really gonna you know, prove myself to him. So her and her friend uh, decided to go outside that day and they killed every single frog they could see. They stomped on them, they stabbed them, they ripped them to shreds. You know, it was a frog genocide. It was Texas Frog Massacre. To this day, every August, the frog community comes together uh, to remember those that were slaughtered in the massacre of 05. You know what I mean? Like, never forget, RIP in peace, you know? It's like, uh, they, and so Sarah comes up to, uh, Sarah comes up to her brother, like very proud of herself. And she's like, Matthew, you'll never guess what I did. I killed all the frogs. And not just the men, but the women and the children too. You know, I, I killed them all. And Matthew was just shocked that he was responsible for, for the frog genocide. Uh, listen to me. I actually think that's how most of us think God wants us to interact with him. 
I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna stomp out every impurity that I can find. Impurities and sins within myself and then impurities and sins within other people. When the Pharisees uh, found this woman and they legitimately thought they were making God proud. God, we caught one. We're destroying one. We're getting rid of the impurity that you want us to get rid of. And so what many of us do is we spend our entire relationship with God trying to blot out all the issues within ourselves or blotting out the issues within other people. That, that's this. If you get rid of sin, God will love you. That's default response. But there's two responses, and all of us respond one way or the other. Jesus' response is the exact inverse. Here's Jesus' response. Jesus' response is, if you accept that God already loves you, you'll get rid of your sin. It's total flip. If you accept that God already loves you, whether you can ever get rid of your sin or not, you'll leave your life of sin. If you accept that God doesn't condemn you, you will leave your life of sin. For Jesus, the focus isn't to blot out every impurity. For Jesus, the focus is, is him. Um, you know, Jesus says a few chapters later, he says, um, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you accept all the things that I have done for you, if you understand how deep my love and how unfathomable my love is for you, you're gonna walk away from all these other things because you don't even need them. You know, I, I, hear, uh, I hear older Christians uh, say all the time um, something to the effect of, uh, you know what the younger generation needs to hear? I always love conversations that start off that way. You know what they, you know what they need to hear? What? I would love, as if I have them all on speed dial. Yeah, like, I just kind of like inform the younger generation of whatever you're about to tell me. Uh, but they'll say, you know what the younger generation needs to hear? They need to know God's truth. They need to know God's truth. They need to know what God says. They need to know God's laws. They need to know God's truth. Now, here's the deal. I agree with you. I agree that the younger generation and every generation needs to hear and know God's truth. Here's my question for you though. Which truth are you talking about? Are you talking about the truth that if I get rid of my sin, God will love you? If I repent and if I turn around, then God won't condemn you. Or are you talking about the truth that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son? that anyone who believes in him, responds to him, will find life and life to the full. Which truth are you talking about? For Jesus, the order is very important. It's not leave your life of sin, then I won't condemn you. It's I don't condemn you, now go ahead and leave your life of sin. So here's the conclusion, here's the conclusion. Ready? Every part of your life that is stuck in a sexual cycle is a part of your heart that doesn't fully accept Jesus' love for you. If, if all brokenness, of all sexual brokenness comes from, I don't understand that God already loves me. That means every single part of my life that is stuck in some kind of cycle, some kind of sexual cycle, any kind of cycle, any kind of brokenness, it's revealing to me a part of my heart that doesn't believe how deep and how incredible Jesus's love is for me. I might know it up here, I might come to church all the time, I might never come to church, right? But somewhere deep in my heart, I don't understand what Jesus's love is all about. And I think there's three different areas of Jesus's love that we don't tend to understand. I wanna talk about these three. So if you're stuck in any kind of cycle of brokenness at all, I want you to look at these three and think to yourself, which one of these don't I totally believe? Here's the first one. I think a lot of us don't believe that Jesus' love is unconditional. I think a lot of us don't believe that Jesus' love is unconditional. A few years ago, uh, I was meeting, uh, there was this guy that started coming to our church, and he, 
just got on fire for Jesus. I mean, this guy was just beaming all the time. You know, he's just glowing his face because he realized who Jesus was and he's just so excited and he's reading the Bible and he's learning all about this kind of stuff. You can see he's happy as can be. And so uh, I took him out for lunch one day because I, I wanted to talk to him about like, dude, what would it look like for you to like reach your friends and tell other people about Jesus and to start what we call Jesus space, which is a space where you can tell other people about Jesus and leading in the church. And I want to have that conversation. And so we went over, uh, we were at First Watch, and we're sitting there, and the first half of the conversation, we're talking about whatever, you know, some stupid Marvel movie or something like that. And he's just beaming and excited and all, all this kind of stuff, and we talked for like half an hour catching up. And then about halfway through, I kind of pivoted the conversation. I said, bro, I've been meaning to talk to you. Um, I want to talk to you about what it would mean for you to tell other people about Jesus. And as soon as I said that, he, got, he, he grew white as a ghost and got really quiet started putting his head down. And I thought, maybe I didn't, uh, you know, make myself, I don't know. I, this is my con, is I just, like, keep talking, you know, to try and overcome awkwardness. So I talked for, like, another 15 minutes, you know, just trying, maybe I didn't say it right. So I just kept talking and talking and talking, and the more I talked, honestly, the more pale he became. And he said, finally, after 15 minutes or so, he said, Josiah, I just don't think that's for me. I'm like, what do you mean that's for you? God has called all of us to, to, to lead in this kind of way. And, and he goes, no, Josiah, I, I don't think you understand. There's something I haven't told you. Like, why haven't you told me? He says, Josiah, I never got over my struggle with pornography. I still struggle with pornography. I, I try and I try and I try, but no matter how much I try, that struggle is never going away. So I don't think I'm the person that should be doing that kind of thing. Here, here's what my friend believed. He believed God loves me, yes, God wants me, yes. God is calling me, yes. But he doesn't love me all the way yet. There's still a few things that I need to take care of. There's still a few things that I need to improve. And once I take care of these things and improve those things, then God will love me. But for now, I should probably keep my distance from certain areas and keep my distance from certain things because obviously God doesn't want me there. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, when you're doing really good in life and you're doing everything right and you're making all the right decisions that God loves you, obviously, why wouldn't he? You know, he wants you, he's after you. You know, the worship songs are just powerful experiences, all this kind of stuff. But then when you mess up or when you fall back into that thing or when you say that thing to that person or you blow up that relationship, when you make that mistake, now God, God's love is like a thermometer and it just starts going down. He doesn't feel quite the same way about you anymore. Have you ever felt like you were on uh, some kind of like probation period with God after you messed up? You know, like I can't talk to him probably for the next couple weeks because he's obviously so mad about the thing that I just did. I'm just gonna give him some space to cool down. He probably doesn't, can't even look me in the eyes. He's so disappointed in me. Have you ever looked at another person and thought, man, they're not following the right stuff. They're not following the right things. They need to turn around so that God will want them so that they can be a part of the family. If you can relate to any of those things, it's because you believe at some level of your heart that God's love has conditions to it. It's conditional based upon me. When I do well, God's love increases all the way. And when I do bad, it just goes down just a little bit. It's a love that can be earned, which is really no love at all. My, my friend, uh, John Bowen, said to me one time, I thought this was a great quote. He said, you know, there's a big difference between believing Jesus loves me, dot, 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 and believing Jesus loves me, period. 
There's a big difference between believing Jesus loves me, dot, 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 and Jesus loves me, period. Some of you are very uncomfortable with God loves me, end of story. You always have to add a caveat to it. Uh, Jesus loves me if I become a better person and stop freaking out and stop losing my temper. Jesus loves me uh, when I can stop being so anxious all the time and learn to trust and learn, Jesus loves me if I can overcome certain doubts in my life and land on the, the biblical conclusion and, and, and the right conclusion on things. Jesus loves me when I break out of this cycle, when I pull myself up a little bit, when I, I look a little more palatable. You know what I mean? And maybe one day if I learn enough lessons and if I improve myself enough, Jesus will love me all the way, but for now, I probably should keep my space until I figure it out. But here's my question for you. Here's my question for you. What if Jesus doesn't love you based on who you could become one day? What if Jesus just loves you for who you are right now? What if Jesus doesn't want you because he thinks you're gonna turn into a great Christian one day, it's gonna make a big impact on the kingdom? What if Jesus wants you because you're his precious child that he loves with all his heart and no matter what you do, it will never change his desire for you? I, I wanna do just a thought experiment. I wanna do a thought experiment. I want you to picture in your head the worst mistake you think you've ever made in your life. It might be a little hard for us because a lot of us have blocked that out. But I want you to just picture in your head the worst mistake, the thing that you would be most embarrassed of if like it just popped on the screen right there or something like that. The worst mistake you think you've ever made of in your entire life. Everybody got that in your head? Here's my question, here's my question for you. Do you believe that as that moment was happening, that as you were doing that thing, that God's love for you was exactly the same? Do you believe that when you were caught in the act of whatever thing you imagined in your head, that Jesus' love for you didn't flinch or decrease an iota? That in the middle of that moment, God was not embarrassed of you? That he didn't turn his face away from you? That he wanted you just as much as the moment he came down to earth, just as much as the moment that he died on the cross. The apostle Paul says this. The apostle Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of the worst moment of my entire life, while I was still in sin, that that was the moment that Jesus came for me. So when these leaders drag out this woman, who had made the worst mistake of her life. And they say, Jesus, she was caught in the act of adultery. What do you think about her? Jesus says, I think about her the same thing I have always thought about her. She's precious. I love her. I want her. And she's mine. I didn't come from heaven to earth to yell at her. I didn't come from heaven to earth to to fix her. I came from heaven to earth for her. You think you're impressing God by exposing someone else. She is the reason that I came. What if God loves you 100%, 100% of the time? Here's the second thing I don't think we tend to believe about God because every cycle of brokenness is because we don't uh, is because we don't believe something about God's love. Here's the second thing. I think a lot of us don't believe that Jesus' love is enough. 
I think a lot of us believe, don't believe that Jesus' love is enough. I have a question for you. I have a question. Why do you think this woman was having a one-night stand to begin with? I think that's a fair question, right? Why do you think this woman was, was having an affair uh, to begin with? And I can tell you exactly why she was doing that. Here's why. She was having a one-night stand because she didn't know how loved she was. That's why. Um, when, when it comes to sex, everybody engages sexually for one primary reason, for one primary reason, and it's to feel love. Now, you might say, well, I'm just having fun, or it's just a one-time thing, or whatever. And it's like, well, there's a few ways that we feel love. Um, some of us feel love predominantly through feeling validated. So even if it's a one-time thing, or even if you're just having fun, you feel love by feeling, I'm the type of person that they want to be with, even if it's just tonight. I need to feel validated by them. And so uh, I will look for opportunities to feel validated that I'm wanted, that I'm uh, sufficient and of myself. And if I can't find a person to do that, there's things like pornography and masturbation that will trick my brain into believing those things, even though they're substitutes. Some of us feel love by validation. Others of us feel love um, through the feeling of like safety and security. There's safety and security. That's the one thing like uh, psychologists as they look at sex, there's hormones that are released, oxytocin, vasopressin, et cetera, that give you this like, sense of bonding, whether it's actually there or not. You feel safe and you feel secure whether you're actually safe or you're actually secure. This, by the way, is why um, unmarried relationships, the more toxic an unmarried relationship gets, the more uh, sexual activity tends to happen because they feel so unstable, they feel so insecure that they're tricking their brains into feeling like this person is safe and this relationship is safe. So the temperature just goes up all the time. And so you feel love by feeling like, I feel like this person's not gonna leave me. I feel like this person, I'm safe with this person. I feel like this person desires me, even if you're just tricking your brain into believing something isn't true. Why is this woman in this relationship to begin with? Here's why. She had no idea how loved she was. She was incredibly insecure. She was incredibly afraid. She felt incredibly invalidated. And so she found this guy, but I need you to catch this. Catch this. As soon as she met the real Jesus she walked away from her cycle of brokenness. As soon as she experienced the real love of Jesus, like what genuine love could be, she walked away from her, sex, her, her uh, cycle of brokenness. Now, I don't wanna be naive here. I think we'd be incredibly naive to believe that this woman never like sinned sexually ever again, or that this woman never ended up with somebody else. I think that's incredibly naive, but the moment she accepted Jesus, her heart pivoted. Her heart moved in the opposite direction because she understood what love could actually be. Here's what I'm trying to say, and I just mean this with all the gentleness in the world. If you refuse to break up with someone, if you won't move out with someone, if you've um, grown numb to the things in your life, so you're trying to do backflips like in the Bible to justify, well, if you go back in the Greek, it doesn't technically translate into you're doing that kind of thing. If you're sleeping with people that you don't know or someone that you do know, if you refuse to love your spouse and to work on that area of your marriage, if you're doing any, I'm not talking about struggling with these types of things. I'm talking about willful decisions. If you say you know Jesus' love, yet refuse to follow his teachings, I don't think you know the real Jesus yet. 
if you say you know Jesus' love, but refuse to follow his teachings, I don't think you've accepted the real Jesus yet. And here's, here's how I know that. Because you are living like you have no idea how loved you are. You are living like you have no idea how loved you are. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. You are so much more than your relationship. Your value doesn't come from anyone, any person, anything except Jesus Christ himself. You're so much more than that relationship. But I don't think you know that. Because you cling to that relationship as if your entire identity is found in it. You're afraid to walk away from that relationship as if your whole life would fall apart if you did. You are so much more than your body and what you can give to people and what you look like. And you're so much more than that. But I don't think you know that. I don't think you know that because you obsess over your body and you use your body to draw people in and you do it in the name of freedom and independence and self-expression. But Jesus would say it's actually in the name of insecurity. Some of us are single and the whole time I've been talking, you're just resentful about the fact that you're single. You're just going on, in your brain, you're just mad that I'm even talking about uh, these relationships and this because I'm single, I'm single, I'm single. Listen, you might know about God's love, but you live like you don't know anything about it. Because Jesus would say your value doesn't come from any per person. You are complete. You are exactly what God wants you to be. You, are you have everything you need in Christ, but Jesus' love isn't enough for you and you're bitter that you don't have the thing that you think you need in order to be enough. When Jesus says, leave your life of sin, he's not saying if you fail sexually, God's gonna get so mad at you and so punish you, punish you and whatever. When Jesus says, go leave your life of sin, what he's saying is, all sexual sin is just a sign that you're empty. He's saying it with compassion. All sexual sin, all sin of any kind, is just a sign that you are empty. And when he sees this woman, he's not angry with her, he's not disappointed with her, he's just heartbroken. He's heartbroken that his kid doesn't know how precious she is, that his kid thinks this deadbeat dude that didn't even show up in the most important moment of her life was the most love that she deserved. He's just heartbroken, and when he looks at you, living the way you do and doing the things you do with his life, he's not, he's not mad, he's heartbroken. Because you don't yet know that his love is enough. Because every part of your life that is stuck in a sexual cycle is a part of your heart that hasn't fully accepted Jesus's love for you. The solution is not to run into that cycle deeper or to run away from that cycle harder. The solution is to understand Jesus's love is unconditional. Jesus's love is everything I ever need. Even if I can't fix myself, God loves me 100%, and that's why I have the freedom to walk away. Because I have everything that I need, and if you can't walk away, it's because you don't know that. Now, I know that um, as I'm talking, there's a lot of us in this room where all you can think of is, yeah, Josiah, I have walked away to the best of my ability. I ha I've tried to turn around. I have left this lifestyle. That's why I'm here. Like, I have walked away to the best of my ability, but there's still things in your past that have s stuck with you. And that's what sucks about sexual issues. Is it feel they feel like they're a part of you you know, more than other things do. And so you're hearing everything I'm saying and you're like, okay, Josiah, that's great, but nothing can erase what I've done in the past. 
Nothing can undo the hurt and the pain that I've caused to other people. Nothing can undo what other people have done to me. Even though it wasn't my fault, even they, they, they took something from me that I can never get back, or some of us, I gave something to them that I feel like I can never get back, I always feel like God is gonna have to turn a blind eye. Some of us have felt shame for certain things for decades, for decades, and things are popping into your mind as I'm talking today that you haven't wanted to think about for a really, really long time, because anytime you think about your relationship with God, there's always a distance, and there's always a, a divide. Because how can God ever fully accept me for all the things that I've done? I need to keep my space. And I'm telling you right now, if the shame of your past continues to haunt you, and the shame of the things that you have done continues to plague you, it's because you don't understand Jesus' love for you. You know, we we never... um, answered how Jesus got out of the trap that the religious leaders set for him. We never answered that question because he's in quite the bind. If Jesus says, stone this woman, he's contradicting himself. If Jesus says, let her go, he's contradicting the word of God, the Bible. And the law of Moses says, clear as day, that the punishment that the penalty for adultery is capital punishment, that this woman deserves to die. The law of Moses could not be more clear. So how on earth does Jesus get away with looking at this woman and saying, I don't condemn you? How on earth does Jesus get away with looking at the Bible and saying, we're not gonna do that, I I don't condemn you? And I can tell you, can I tell you exactly how Jesus gets away with saying, I don't condemn you? We find out in the book of John, a few chapters later, that a few months later, someone actually does die for this adultery. Someone actually does experience capital punishment for the mistake that this woman had made, although it's not the woman that's put to death, it's Jesus Christ himself. If you still live with the shame of the past, and it takes a long time to, to wrestle through that. I'm not, it's not overnight, but if you still live with the shame of the past, here's what you don't totally download yet. Here's what it is. You don't believe that you're already paid for. You don't believe that you're already paid for. Years ago, I was talking to a buddy of mine um, who really used to struggle with self-harm. So he'd hit these like really, really dark moments and what he would do is he, he would cut his wrists. And I remember talking to him about this and I asked him, like, bro, when you hit those dark moments, like, what, what goes through your head when you hit those dark moments? And he said, Josiah, I just can't escape the feeling that I deserve to be punished for the things I've done. I can't escape the feeling that I deserve this for the person that I am. And the only way I'm able to get through going to work, the only way I'm able to get through relationships, the only way I'm able, is I have to somehow compensate for or justify the things I've done in the person that I am. And so I hit these moments and, and I, I punish myself, I cut myself to make up for those things. And I just, when he said that, all I could think of is, man, If Jesus could say one thing to my friend in those dark moments, I know exactly what he would say. Jesus would look at my friend and say, bro, here's why you never need to punish yourself again. I've already been punished. Like the basic instinct that you do deserve punishment for the thing, that's actually correct. 
But here's why you never need to punish yourself again. I've already been punished, it's already been paid for. And if Jesus could say one thing to you right now, I know exactly what it'd be. Jesus would say, here's why you never need to be afraid of being punished ever again. I've already been punished. I've already paid for it all. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, every nail and every punch and every uh, tear and every whip, all of that was, was the punishment for the mistakes that I've made and for the mistakes that you have made. That Jesus was broken to pay for our brokenness. That's what he's doing. Because somehow, God had to get away with the fact that he's forgiving his kids, even though his kids are always breaking his laws. And so what God does is he sends his son to take the penalty and the punishment of every law that we have ever broken. Jesus loves you so much that he was beaten to death to save your life. Jesus loves you so much he was beaten to death to bring you into the family of God. He, already, he paid for it. And some of Jesus' last words, you know, Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross, he's suffocating. So you can barely get any words out. But some of his very last words were, it is finished. It is finished. What's he saying? The mistakes of the past, they're paid for. The mistakes of the, the present in this moment. I can never overcome this issue. I can never. They're paid for. The crazy, wild stuff I do in the future, they're paid for. Past, present, future, it is finished once and for all. And so, you know, it's 2023. I just, Jesus is in heaven. I just imagine Jesus sitting up in heaven, watching other people hold your mistakes against you, and he's just crying, and all he can think of is, I already paid for that. Why are you mocking her? I was already mocked. Why are you rejecting him? I was already rejected. Why are you telling those people that God wants nothing to do with them? Because for the three most miserable, miserable days of my life, God wanted nothing to do with me. Jesus, he has the scars. Like he's looking and said, that's already paid for. I remember that clear as day. And then Jesus is watching us beat ourselves up and hold our own sin against us. And Jesus, all he can think is, I already paid, my, my child, I already paid for that. Why are you beating yourself up for the mistakes you made? Woe is me, I'm unworthy, I can't talk to God. Why are you beating yourself up? I was already beaten to death. Why are you separating yourself from God? I, I can't go in the church. I'm not allowed to, to do things for God. I can't do all this. I was already separated from my father. And why are you putting the weight of your mistakes, the weight of your brokenness onto your own shoulders and trying to carry them by yourself because I already carried them and I already paid for them. You know, the, the apostle Peter, he says, Christ suffered for sins once for all. Christ suffered for sins once for all. He never sinned, but he died to bring sinners safely home to God. Christ died for sins once and for all. What about the things of the past? He suffered once for all. What about, what if I can never overcome my, he suffered once for all. What if I just did something crazy? You know, like what if we leave today and one of you just does something crazy? You get fired, you get canceled, whatever. You do something crazy. If you have Jesus Christ, Christ died for sins once and for all. And hear me, Jesus didn't die because he had to, he was obligated to. Jesus didn't die to start a new religion or something like that. Jesus didn't die so he could have churches. Jesus didn't die to fix you. 
Jesus died because he saw his precious kid was terrified and afraid and stuck and trapped. So Jesus came from heaven to earth to tell you one thing, I still want you. I want you more than anyone has ever wanted you in your entire life. I still love you. I love you more than anyone has ever even been capable of loving you. Jesus would literally rather die than let you go. And the reason he came from heaven to earth and died on the cross was to rescue you and prove you that he loves you with everything. If you think God hates you because you're gay, because you're trans, because you're divorced, because you're anxious, because you can't pull yourself together, because you had an abortion, because you have no control over your thought life, or because of some mistake that you've made in the past, if you think God hates you for any reason, you have never been more wrong in your entire life. If you were the only person that ever lived, Jesus would do it all again. He wants you. He loves you. And his response to you in the worst moment of your life is compassion, forgiveness. I don't condemn you, now come with me. Let's be a family again. The question is not, can I leave my life of sin? Do I have enough strength? Do I have enough power to overcome these things in my life? The question is, do I have the guts to accept and to receive and to start to live like Jesus loves me with everything that I have? And if you want to start to, you might say, just I want to understand that love, but love feels very ethereal. I want to break out of this cycle of brokenness, but that feels very ethereal. If you want to break out of a cycle of brokenness, and if you want to understand that love in a type of way, what should I do? I just want to end on these three things real quick. Three things. If I don't believe fully that Jesus loves me, how do I start? Three things. Here's the first one. Ready? You need to stop fixating on your sin and start fixating on Jesus' love. What was that quote from last week? Bars. When the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows you by your sin, but he calls you by your name. When the past comes to mind, I'm not kidding, I'll literally be driving and something will pop into my head. The devil's an accuser, right? Something will pop into my head of some crazy thing I did way back then that I don't want anybody, anybody to know about. Something will pop in my head and I will literally say out loud, that is not who I am. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has separated my mistakes from my identity. So I look and say, that is not who I am. Some of us are in the thick of a battle that we can't overcome. Something in your relationship, something you're single, something with pornography, something like that. What if, what if, what if, what if, instead of your entire relationship with God being focused on how do I overcome this, what if you started to believe that even if you never overcame it, just do this with me. What happens? Let's go, uh, thought experiment. What happens if you never overcome your sin? I'll tell you what happens. If you have Jesus Christ, Jesus sees you as if it never happened. Jesus paid for it all. So the Bible says, in the middle of the worst mistake that you've ever made in your life, if you have Jesus Christ, he saw you white as snow. 
in the middle of my worst mistake. So what if I never overcome the thing? He loves me the same. What if I can't get over the thing? He loves me the same. What if I never have the strength? What if I can't impress God with how much I blotted out my own? He loves you exactly the same. The worst mistake in my life, he saw me white as snow. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. So what if my focus wasn't on, I need to impress God? What if my focus on, is on, I just wanna be as close to God as I possibly can be? I just wanna know him. I wanna understand how deep, how wide, how great his love is for me. And do you know what happened? If you start fixating on that and said, do you wanna know what's gonna happen? You'll probably walk away from your sin. <laughs> you'll probably walk away. Not because you had the strength to overcome it, but because you don't need it anymore. You don't need validation from this thing. You don't need security from this thing. I have it all in Christ. And so I'll run to him. I'll walk away. I'll struggle and I'll fall, but I'll walk to him. Here's the second thing. If I wanna start accepting Jesus' love for me and walk away from my cycle of brokenness, the second is I need to begin to live like Jesus' love is enough. I need to begin to live like Jesus' love for not enough. I, need, I just mean this with all, all the respect for your life and the choices and the things of all the respect in the world and all the gentleness in the world listen to me if you're sleeping with somebody if you're living with somebody if you're on purpose making decisions outside of God's definition of sexuality what you are doing is this and I need to make it super clear you are preventing your heart from ever being able to download how deeply loved you are. Hear me, God does not love you any less at all. His love for you is 100%, 100% of the time, but you are preventing your heart from ever able to fully understand that because your heart is so filled with crap and people that have on purpose reserved the right to walk away at any time, we love each other. Well, you're on purpose reserving the right to walk away at any time. Your heart is so filled up with that that you will never know how complete you are in Christ. And so I think, I know that for many of us in this room, and, and God's been telling you this for a long time, it's been buried deep down and you've been blocking it out and you might get mad at me, but I'm just telling you what God's already been trying to say. A lot of us, we need to break up with that relationship. You've known that. A lot of us, we do, do need to move out and you've known that. A lot of us do need to delete the app and walk away, and you've known that. But it's not because God's gonna punish you. It's because he loves you with everything, and you don't need that. You don't need that. And so if you need help and if you wanna talk about that, I'd love to, and, and so would anybody else here. Some of us need to walk away. Others of us need to let other people in. We need to tell people what's going on in our lives. Others of us, we need to embrace God's understanding of sexuality. Some of us are married and that, like we just, the, the sex conversation went away like five years ago, you know? And so maybe now it's time to start looking at what the Bible does say about that and reigniting that in a whole new way. But I need to start to live like I know Jesus' love is enough. I don't need this other person Therefore, I can walk away. I don't need this other person. Therefore, I can love them with all my heart. And last but not least, I know that there's some of us in this room that have never 
begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to make this clear as day. The fullest life possible, the happiest life possible, is not possible without Jesus. Only Jesus can set you free. You might be able to willpower your way off of something, but that's just going to manifest itself in something else. The only way for your heart to turn, for your life to change, for freedom, for confidence, man, the only way for that to happen is through a relationship with Jesus, for reaching out your hand and letting him rescue you, for letting him pay for your own mistakes. Otherwise, you are deciding that you want to pay for your own mistakes on your own. And if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, we will stay here as late as we need to. We will cancel the next service. I don't care, man. You know, like whatever. That's the only reason we have this church. (laughs) So if you want to talk about that, Basically, anyone here would love to talk about that, but you can find me and find any of these guys, and we'd love to pray with you. The band's going to come out. They're going to lead us into a space. Um, So would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray in these next few moments, God, that you would speak um, more powerfully than I ever could. God, you know each person's story here. You know the abuse. You know the trauma. You know the things that, you know, I never could, obviously. So Jesus, I pray, please, please, in this time, would you speak who you are into each of us? Would you let each of us know exactly what it means for us to walk with you, for us to be close to you? And God, I pray that all of us, you give all of us the strength to run to you, whatever that looks like, whether it means walking away from something else so we can walk close to you or just walking to you for the very first time. God, I pray that someone this morning would be saved. So speak to us now, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.